0: Welcome to Authors of Impact. I'm your host, Jazz Rawlinson, best-selling author, book coach, and all-round lover of impactful stories. Join with me as we go behind the memoir with some of the world's most influential authors, revealing the secrets and strategies that have helped each writer go from big idea to bestseller. I'll also share with you the techniques and tips that I use as a book coach and author that can help you better navigate the writing and publishing process for yourself. If you're ready to become an author of Impact, this is the place for you. Hi, Changemaker, and welcome back to another episode of Authors of Impact. Today, I'll be speaking with Naomi Seddon. Naomi is an international lawyer, thought leader, author, and presenter on workplace equality and issues impacting women at work. In 2016, Naomi was named by Legal 500 as a top attorney in the United States for legal advice and counselling. She's also a proud advocate for endometriosis and women's equality and is the author of Milk and Margaritas and today she'll be sharing about her book, the strategies she used to become a published author despite her busy lifestyle and her advice to other aspiring authors. Naomi will also open up about her personal experience with endometriosis and how that experience propelled her to write the book Milk and Margaritas as well as to join the boards of top charities and organisations including Endometriosis Australia. I hope you enjoy this conversation and as always feel free to share with me afterwards what you loved most about today's interview. You can reach out to me at info at jazzrollinson.com or jump online and tag me. You'll find me online under the name Jazz Rollinson. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome Naomi and thanks for joining me. Thanks for
1: having me today. I'm very pleased to be here. You're welcome.
0: Well, for those who are listening along, you know, it's a treat to have Naomi here today. Naomi is also um, a dear client of mine. So it's really great to, you know, see you again face to face and to be able to share a bit more about your story and your book, which is now out, which we worked on together last year. So that's really exciting. So before we sort of get into talking about the book, I was wondering if you could share just a little bit, uh, like if you could just share a little bit about who you are, where you live, and maybe one fun or interesting thing that people may not know about you.
1: Well, I must say it is lovely to see you again, Jazz, because I have missed our sessions (laughs) and I'm very much looking forward to finally starting my next book. But before we go there, so about me, I, um, as you can hear, I am Australian originally, although I do live in the United States now. I practiced law in Australia for about eight years before I moved to the U.S. And it's not something that I anticipated ever doing. Um, It's something that sort of was almost forced upon me at the time. I was engaged um, to someone that ended up being very abusive and I ended up having to obtain a a five-year intervention order from the court in Australia. But the problem was he kept breaching the order and I ended up in and out of court over about a two year period. It was a terribly traumatic time in my life. And the court um, ended up advising me to change my identity. And I was absolutely determined that I did not want to do that. I'd worked far too hard building my legal career. I was very close to my family and friends and it just wasn't something I was prepared to entertain. So then the court suggested that maybe I should consider moving overseas for a while. And literally that is how I ended up in the US. I, um, I considered it. I thought, okay, I will go over. I will sit the bar. I had some friends in the US. I'd travelled to the US a number of times and I liked it. I didn't think at the time I liked it enough to make it my home forever, but I thought maybe I would go for 12 months and see if things would sort of settle down during that period. I had no idea the journey that my life would end up taking, though, once I, I moved to the US. And I'm a really big believer in things happen for a reason, even where they are really challenging times and at the time we can't see or understand why they're happening but for me that has definitely been true of my story. I came here, I have had an incredible legal career, I now also sit on a number of boards um, and I absolutely love the board work that I do and getting to sit on the other side of the table. I also met my husband in the US although he is Australian which is sort of funny because I never intended to to date an Australian over here but in, in any event, that's what ended up happening. And being older, we both knew we wanted to start a family fairly quickly. Um, so we embarked on that journey and I discovered that I had a number of health issues as part of that process. Now, I always knew that I had endometriosis. I had experienced a number of health issues from a young age. And I had a couple of surgeries in Australia in my early 20s so I knew that I had that but I, what I wasn't aware of is that I also have two red blood conditions and so I will never know exactly why I wasn't able to have children myself but fundamentally I think it was the combination of all of the issues that I have I ended up losing four children. I lost um, a little boy at about five months and uh, three other children. And then I went through a pretty awful time over about a two year period where I had over a hundred tests. I had nine surgeries, including a hysterectomy and I went through three rounds of IVF. And unfortunately, because of my um, blood conditions, I ended up being incredibly sick through that process. I was very fortunate though that I had no problems producing embryos and so um, we were able to utilise surrogacy here in the US. Now, if you had have told me back even 10 years ago that I would have ended up having children by a surrogate, I would have said what on earth is surrogacy because it's not something that I was really even aware of at the time but as part of this process I like to say I became the accidental advocate for surrogacy rights in Australia because I did end up having my children via surrogate although you know a story for another day but that process was um, quite difficult as well as my children were born quite premature but in any event at the end of all of that process when I finally had my children home and in my arms uh, my husband and I were determined that we wanted to obtain Australian citizenship for our children and parental rights for our children under Australian law. So I engaged in this legal process um, and it was, in, you know, I learned so much through that process. It was incredibly stressful and I will say it was probably as stressful as what going through the whole process to try and have my children was. You know, when you go through something that is so traumatic, like what my husband and I experienced, and then at the other end of it, you experience these legal roadblocks. It is just absolutely heartbreaking. And so I was determined that I wanted to try and shed some light on this issue and affect some change. And I'm now very proud to say that I'm on the board of Surrogacy Australia trying to advocate for change in this area. So I went through all of these experiences and all the while I was, um, you know, a a lawyer in in a large global firm and working my way up through the firm. And I did make partner through that period of time. But, you know, there was a cost to the way that I was working, the way that I was living my life. I learned a lot of things along the way. I made mistakes. I, you know, continued to push through. My health continued to suffer. I was exhausted, I was resentful at times, I was probably angry at times, it was impacting the relationships in my life. I wasn't performing in any area of my life at, you know, the level that I wanted to be. I wasn't at my best because I was continuing to suffer all of these health issues because I was just pushing myself to these extreme levels. And so you know when i finally got to a point where you know i i ended up having to even after all of these you know these experiences and the nine surgeries i had i ended up having to again have a 10th surgery because of my endometriosis and i really reached a point in my life where i thought something has to change here if i don't i don't know what's going to happen to me because there's only so much that a doctor can cut out at the end of the day and so i I made conscious choices to make different decisions in my life, and I implemented wellness. I put some boundaries around when I worked and how I worked, and and there are a number of different changes that I made. But you know, as soon as I did that, I ended up having the most profitable year of my entire career, which is just you know, if that's not a great advertisement, I don't know what is. I've now spoken at various conferences and I've organized conferences on women's health issues in the workplace all around the world. And every time I shared my story, inevitably people were, you know, streamed up at the end and said, please, you have got to write a book. We want, you know, we want to hear more. And so I knew that writing a book was something I absolutely had to do. And because I sit on a number of boards, I also understand that while, you know, there's certainly a lot of us that think you know, this is all great and we want to assist employees in the workplace, a company fundamentally is there to make money and so you have to develop a business case for any change that you want to try and implement, particularly where it does involve the investment. You need the other board members to get on board with the changes that you're trying to implement. And so what I wanted to do through the book is really create a handbook for organisations to be able to develop their own strategies and start their own conversations in their own organisations to essentially start developing the business case around why these types of changes really are fundamental now. And by the way, one other thing I'll say about it is, you know, there is so much data out there that shows the direct link between productivity, profitability and wellness and really finding ways to support your employees. But there's also another you know, surprising thing that's arisen over the last couple of years and that is we've seen more employees than ever before withdraw from the workforce, particularly women. And yes, it has been as a result of COVID, however, You know, we are sort of coming out to our new normal, our new way of living through this pandemic. And the latest data that we're seeing just around 2022 is showing us that this trend is actually not going to change significantly, at least not in the short term. And so what does this actually mean? Well, people are starting to prioritise their own health and wellness in different ways, in ways that they never have before. Um, So we're starting to see employees actively seek out companies that are really walking the walk, not just talking the talk, around things like better support, better benefits. And so in this global war on talent, we really need to find ways to really better support employees, but also implement benefits that are more effectively going to support people and provide them with the type of um, assistance benefits that they need around things like family planning, you know, medical issues, etc. So that was a long answer. (laughs) I'm sorry, there's so much I can say about this topic, but that's sort of what led me um,
0: to where I am today. Well, thank you for sharing all of that because I mean sorry excuse me your journey has been um an incredible one I mean I know that when you first when we first connected last year I mean there was there was so much to your story and at first I, I started to learn about you know Naomi the lawyer and um you know Naomi as someone who was passionate about gender equality in the workplace but I Know, in the early stages, I didn't know about your story of what you'd been through to even get to America. And I think that in itself is really fascinating. And thank you for being really open about that because um, it's quite extraordinary that you had, you even had to consider changing your identity. And I know that there are a lot of um, survivors of, of domestic violence or women in particular who have had to consider that. Um, but the fact that you had to move overseas really to be safe is quite extraordinary. is is another really extraordinary part of your story. And I also thought it was really interesting that you and your husband are both Australians that ended up in the U.S. and then were drawn to each other and and met, which was really cool. But um, well, yeah, what you shared is is so true about a lot of people are just not up to speed on the issues that women are facing in the workplace. And so that is what's great about your book is that it shines a light on the fact that um, there's still a long way to go in terms of gender equality. And I know that that phrase in particular can be, um, you know, has a bit of stigma around it still or there are particular ideas around it. And even I've had to face that in the past with thinking, oh, you know, women have equality in the workplace now. I'm not really sure why people would say that they don't. Um, But a lot of the issues that you bring up in your book are ones that um, a lot of people still don't think about. So, for example... um, I know that there were some women in your book that shared about their experiences with menopause and how that um, impacted them in the workplace. And there was one woman in particular, I think I remember, that shared about just just little things that her workplace could have done, like having a little fan um, for her to put on her desk, you know, to help when those overwhelming surges of heat came. And then, you know, there were the issues that women go through too when they're on different Hormone treatments or different medications to manage menopause or whatever it might be that they're going through. And so, what I love about your book is that it it really is opening up this broader conversation, but then also bringing people into your personal story and, and making the the um, these really uh, big issues a lot easier to understand through personal storytelling and through you know, you being so open about your journey. And I was wondering whether you struggled at all with that part of being really open in the book about your own experiences instead of just, you know, tapping into Naomi the educator who is going to talk about, you know, workplace equality and endometriosis. Was it, did you find it more difficult or less difficult to write about your personal experiences versus the resources and education in the book?
1: Well, I've always been someone that is pretty open about my life. I mean, I've presented my story and talked about these issues for quite a few years now, and I was raised by two very strong women, my mother and my grandmother, and they were complete open books. At times, probably a bit more than what I would, you know, have liked or, you know, what I am today today. But I've always believed that there is such power in sharing your story and if it has the ability to affect change and to assist someone else in in their own journey, then I think it's absolutely worth it. The one area that I really did struggle with um, was around the surrogacy piece, though. Initially, I didn't plan to share that part of my story in such detail, not because I'm ashamed of it or because I wanted to keep it a secret. It was more because I'm so passionate that we need change in this area. And I am on the board of SoropC Australia. And I'm I really was conscious of not wanting people to look at my experience, which was quite traumatic at times, and to say see this is another example of why we shouldn't allow surrogacy in Australia because really what I'm trying to do through my story is quite the opposite. Show you, you know, show you the reader why it is absolutely critical for Australia to implement a, you know, regulation around surrogacy so that families have the ability to do it in a safe manner so that surrogates are protected. But you know, the situation with the Ukraine has really highlighted why this issue is so important. I'm sure you have seen, you know, in the media, the babies that have been born to surrogates that are now stuck in the Ukraine because of this awful situation with the war. And this just demonstrates to me even greater need for Australia to to regulate some system where it is possible. Now, we do have um, the ability to do altruistic surrogacy in Australia which, you know, in some states and it's subject to some regulation. The problem with that is altruistic surrogacy is a situation where the surrogate is not paid. Now, I really disagree with that because I think that, you know, firstly, it's really hard to find someone that's going to do that for you um, unless you have a family member that is able to do that and willing to do that for you, which, you know, not everybody does, um, then it can be incredibly difficult to find someone. I also like the idea of paying someone for that process because, it is then very clear that you are paying them to do something really special for you, but it sets the tone of the relationship as well. And because the surrogacy agreements are filed with the court, there are very clear obligations, you know, responsibilities on both parties. Um, and why shouldn't somebody be compensated? for
0: Yeah, you know, I think you make a, a good point there about the fact that um, because of the different laws in different countries, I mean it's so different for every everyone who goes through this and what is happening in the ukraine is is absolutely devastating. and I think if surrogacy is going to be something that's implemented um <clears throat> whether it's in Australia or different countries, absolutely the woman who's carrying the baby needs to be protected. Um, you know like that's such a I'm a mother myself, and you know, like carrying a baby is not just something that you just oh, you just go through the process with um, IVF and you know all of that, and then you just carry this baby, and then you just birth it and and pass it on. You know, it's a huge toll on on a woman's body to carry a baby, and so I absolutely agree with you that. There, there needs to be changes around the protections that are put in place and actually looking, looking after people. And so, I can imagine, of course, that would have been difficult to write about in the book because it is quite. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if everyone would agree that it's a taboo subject, but I certainly think that it's still very difficult to talk about. And I certainly empathise on both sides with different feelings about it. And so when it comes to writing about things like this, I imagine with your personal experience too, it was probably really difficult to think about opening up about some of those things and especially in Australia as well. Um, One question that I did want to ask you as well before I forget, because I've often had people ask this as well, is that people are really curious about the name Milk and Margaritas and how you actually (laughs) came up with that. So I'd love if you could share about where the name actually came from.
1: Yeah, sure. I know when you look at my book and you see that it's a book on women's health issues in the workplace, you know, it does seem a little strange, um, you know, uh, topic, uh, heading rather, but how it came about was that... Um, as I was trying to make milk I you know have babies Um, uh, every time my husband and I would experience you know disappointment after disappointment more bad news something terrible would happen we would literally walk down to our local Mexican restaurant and drown our sorrows in a margarita and so that is literally where the name came from and you know funnily enough I called my Instagram page years ago when I was going through this process Milton Margaritas for that reason and at the time I had no idea that that's what I would end up calling the book but it just seemed that that really did fit because when I, You know, I set up my Instagram um, profile at the time. It was when I was going through all of this, and this is really, you know, how I felt. It was reflective of how I felt. So um, it holds some difficult memories for me, but also, you know, at the end of the day, I was able to turn kind of those lemons into margaritas through the process that we embarked on. So um, that's where the name came from.
0: It's such a catchy name too. So it's really great to hear you explain that because I've had people say, oh my gosh, that's like, I want to know more. I want to know more about that, this book. And that in itself, I think is a great um, point to make for this interview too, is that, um, you know, your, your book title as much as your book cover is so important in terms of getting people to actually stop scrolling, look at your book and want to know more. And the same if someone's picking it up in Target or a bookstore, you, you really need to capture them not only with the book cover, but also the book title. And I think a lot of people, uh, maybe a lot of writers out there or aspiring authors miss that part of it they think, okay, I've got to have a really cool book cover. But the title itself has to be gripping. So I think you've done a really great job of that, um, which I just wanted to mention as well. I would love to ask you a bit about the writing process. And, you know, I'm a bit biased because we work together. But I mean, I really, I really did notice that you had Some qualities that I don't see often in a lot of writers in terms of your commitment and your dedication from the start. Excuse me. And so, I mean, I did see that you really did have that drive to get this book out there. But that said, you also were dealing with so much throughout the writing process, Um, not only with your own health and endometriosis and flare ups that you were having, but as a mother with two very young twin girls. So I'd love for you to share a bit about um, how you actually went through that process of going from that initial idea and that blank page through to <clears throat> the um, finished book. As a you know, as a mom and a career woman who's very busy, how did you set yourself up for success from the start to actually see the book through? Yeah, well,
1: I think the the first thing I would say about this is you've got to think about why you're writing the book. You know, what is it that you're ultimately trying to achieve with the book? Because so many people say, I want to write a book, right? It's, a, you know, on a, a lot of bucket list. And oh, my certainly- goodness, yes. It, it, does,
0: <laughs> it does frustrate me because everybody says, I want to I write a book and my book would be so much better than other books I write, uh, I see yeah. out there, but few people actually do the work to actually get there
1: actually write their full
0: books. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's true. And I think it comes back to, you know, there's obviously probably some other reasons why people never end up doing it as well. But I think one of the big reasons is that they don't think about the why and they don't work out where it is that they want the book to land them. And I think having a goal of I want to be on the New York Times bestseller list is really not a good goal to have. Yes, everybody dreams of that occurring, but I don't think that should be fundamentally the reason why you're writing a book. So for me, I was determined because I was very clear in my mind about the why. I knew that I wanted to share my story because I believed that it was really important based on my experiences and the work that I do but I also knew that I had a very clear goal on where I want it to take me in the future. Um, One of the things that I didn't anticipate was that I would love the process so much and that it would end up taking me into unexpected places. And, you know, that's why now I've realised that I am an expert in, you know, workplace health And wellness issues. And so now, and issues impacting employees generally around diversity and inclusion. And so that really is where my passion area and expertise lies. And so that's why I'm now going to, um, you know, end up going into my next book on neurodiversity in the workplace. And then I've already got my third book planned in my head around domestic violence in the workplace. But I think that you know, having that goal and working out your why is really important early on. And then as far as the actual day-to-day is concerned, I mean, honestly, Jazz, I've done so many interviews lately and I've said it, everyone, invest in a book coach. And I've given you a shout out because you are amazing and I don't know if I would even have finished it were it not for you. No, yes, you. I was. no it's true. I mean... Yes, I was determined and yes, you know, I had times when I would, um, you know, go on these writing sprees and I'd get a lot done, but then I had weeks that were really tough as well. The thing is you taught me so much about the process that I just you don't know what you don't know right and I had no idea how much was involved in writing a book and how many people are involved in the whole process absolutely well. yeah <laughs> and so you know I learned a lot through that process and it shouldn't come as a surprise because as a lawyer one of the, the things that I tell people all the time is a good lawyer never represents themselves in any legal issues And I think the same thing is true no matter what you're doing. You know, if you're going through a process and you're not a professional writer already, then you need to invest in a book coach Mm. because really, you know, there's so much about the process that you can learn but also they give you ideas that you may not have thought of. It's giving you a fresh perspective. It's somebody that hasn't been involved in your situation that doesn't have any bias around your situation um and it's someone that keeps you accountable because you're paying for the service so Mm -hmm. you want to you don't want to turn up to sessions and say oh I haven't done I haven't done anything yeah yeah okay so uh, yeah I mean uh, that would be my absolute number one tip and then the other thing I would say is you know, don't beat yourself up through the process, but continue to just try and move forward. I think even if you get a little bit done each week, it is still progress. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had really ambitious goals some weeks and I didn't make them. And then, you know, there were times when I would get so down on myself and think, oh, my goodness, you know, I haven't done it this week. And I remember
0: that too. You would (laughs) really beat yourself up about it. But in reality, you actually had either done quite a lot or you'd still done some work. And I think what you said just then was really important about don't beat yourself up about not achieving your goals every week as long as you still get something done. And, and I usually say to people, even if you only write for 20 minutes a day or even only 15 minutes a day, instead of trying to do a two or th- like a three hour chunk on the weekend or something, you may make more progress that way. And if you only get A page done or two pages done, you're still making progress as opposed to setting a really lofty goal and then getting so overwhelmed that you don't get anywhere near achieving that and you, you know, put the whole thing off. Um, But I, I was curious about what some of your goals were. I mean, did you have word count goals? Did you have you know, I need to get this many words done this week? Or did you just kind of feel it out and see how it went?
1: Yeah. I mean, they fluctuated. Sometimes I would have word goals and sometimes I would have chapter goals Mm -hmm. as well. So I think that's another thing. I think, you know, be flexible in what your goals are. Don't have, you know, I'm going to do 2000 words a week and, you know, that's going to be kind of my plan for the next six months or whatever it is. I think you know, you need to let the process flow freely. Um, and that's another big tip that I learned from you very early on. One of the things you said was don't worry so much about the words that you're putting on the paper, just get it out because the yeah. editing process happens after. And so I'm one of those people that is a, a, a perfectionist and I have to be in the legal work that I do. And so I always had to, shift my way of thinking through the writing process and just allow myself to to really just write more freely than I normally would Mm -hmm. in my day job and so it is a different skill set and that's something that you kind of need to learn early on it's also very different to writing something like articles I mean I write a lot of articles I've written for Huffington Post I write a lot of legal updates I've always done that throughout my legal career Writing a book is a totally different undertaking. It is a different Mm -hmm. type of writing. It's a different type of process. And that was something that I didn't actually necessarily anticipate at the start. So I definitely learned a lot through the process.
0: It's really interesting that you mentioned that. And I'm glad that you did because a lot of people don't just like you in the beginning, like a lot of people don't understand that it's an entirely different process to writing a blog article. And I've had people say, oh, I'll just use my, I'll reuse and repurpose my blogs and make them into a book. And you can definitely repurpose them, but it's it's not the same tone of writing. And it's completely different to, there's a completely different flow to making your chapters link up and connect in a really natural way or making you know this section here connect with this section in a way that doesn't feel really disjointed. And that's different, of course if you're writing a standalone article or a blog where you you write maybe somewhere between 600 words or up to 2,000 words and then it's done and you do your, your next standalone article or your next, topic, but it's not the same as getting chapters to link in in a really natural way. Uh, So I do think that that's that's probably one reason why a lot of people give up throughout the writing process because they can't work it out. But I also really liked what you said about having to learn how to work with that perfectionist part of yourself, because I see that in a lot of clients and aspiring writers or aspiring authors too, is that they want to be... They want the words that they put in their first draft to be so perfect that they get stuck on those first few chapters and they never move past them because they spend every single writing session fixing and re-editing and not thinking about the fact that they're just wasting time because the book's only going to go to an editor later anyway. And you, you're much better off writing a sloppy first draft then re-editing it and then giving it to an editor, then you know, spending three times as long because and, and possibly not even finishing at all, because you're just trying to make every chapter and every word so perfect. And I know myself, you know, I'm working on my fourth book at the moment, which is my debut memoir. And I still have those things too that I have to work with where I really do want every sentence in every chapter to be perfect, but sometimes I just have to dump out whatever's in my head and it's not perfect. I just have to get it out. So I really liked that you, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that because that's a really important um, tip. One other thing I wanted to ask you was um, when you put yourself in, uh, if you think about maybe one of those months last year where you were working on milk and margaritas and, and you've got, you know, two young girls and they're both running around the house. You know, they're asking you for things, they're wanting attention. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of other parents out there who might be listening to this and they know how that feels and how hard it is to focus on a creative project when you have children asking you for things all the time. When you think about some of those moments and those most challenging times, what was something else, again, that helped you to push through and and keep working on the book when you had, you know, so much coming at you? Well,
1: uh, that in some ways it's a hard question to answer because I think I've been through so much in my life that when sometimes when bad things happen or things are a little difficult or challenging, my perspective is going to be different to somebody else's because I always think back to if I can get through what I've gone through, then, you know, this is easy. Um, So I think in some ways, you know, we've all got stuff like that and different perspectives and so, you know, I might not find that particular situation as challenging as what somebody else will but what I would say to that is you've got to come back to why and I also thought about the process like this I thought you know this is such a short period of my life you know in relative terms yes the book writing process is a very big undertaking for me it took about two years Um, So that's, you know, that's still a lengthy period of time. But in the scheme of my life and with what I wanted, you know, the goals I had and what I wanted to achieve by it and the legacy that I wanted to create and leave for my children. For me, that was completely worth it. And I kept thinking, you know, yes, these moments are hard, but these are, you know, there's one bad day and then I'll have another great day. And that's honestly how my process went. Yeah, I had times that were really hard and when I didn't sleep you know for a week but I you know and then I had other times when you know my husband would take the children on the weekend and he'd be out doing things with them and I'm so grateful to him that I had those you know days and weeks where I was just able to focus on my book so I was really blessed that I did have you know the ability to do that but I also think it's another reason why a lot of people start the process and don't finish or say they want to write and they don't end up doing it You've got to be in the right frame of mind to do a book and you've got to really commit to the process. Yes, you're going to have good days, good weeks and bad days and bad weeks, but you've got to keep on track with what your goal is ultimately and keep coming back to your goals. If you don't do that, you're going to end up never finishing it. And honestly, I had... Plan to start writing my second book pretty much immediately after I finished my first.
0: Of course you did because you're that sort of person (laughs) who's like, all right, I've done the project, line up next one and let's go.
1: (laughs) You know what? I haven't started it yet, not significantly anyway. And the reason for that is because I realized I had too much going on in my life at the time I moved house. I had my family here for the first time in three years. We've been renovating. I've just had too much going on and I knew that I wasn't going to be in a situation where I could commit to the process and what I didn't want to do was do it half-heartedly and then, you know, fall off the wagon, so to speak. Once I start it, I want to commit to it and I don't want it to be stressful. I want to enjoy the process because I loved the first time so much And I got so much joy through the process. And yes, I still know there's going to be hard days, hard weeks, but I need to be in the right frame of mind when I start that. And that I think is something really important for people to Mm. understand about the writing process.
0: I'm really glad you brought that up because um, a lot of people often fall on that excuse of, oh, it's not the right time to write my book. And they wait for this perfect situation. And I always say, there is no perfect time to start. It does come back to, like you said in the beginning, your why and and why you want to do this and taking those steps. However, I think it's really important what you said about honouring, you know, also recognising when it actually isn't the right time to start and, and being able to differentiate between whether you're making an excuse to put off actually you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and whether it's actually a form of self-sabotage or whether it's, it's correct and that it's actually just not the right time to start. And I'm glad that you gave yourself that time and you didn't just jump straight into book number two, because I know that you were really looking to do that when we <laughs> finished Milk and Margaritas. You're like, all right, let's go, second book. <laughs> so I'm glad you gave yourself that time off because that will also give you more Um, more time to reflect on the kind of book that you want to write for your second book and I think that will make it a stronger book and you will probably find the process a lot more um, easygoing because you've given yourself some time to breathe and recover and you're not starting the writing process when you are literally in the middle of like tearing rooms apart and renovating them. And I yeah. think um, I think that's good. Yeah, you, it's important to recognise whether you do actually need to wait a little bit until you start, or whether it's a form of self sabotage. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, obviously, Milk and Margaritas is is now out. You know, it's since been published, which is fantastic. Um, I was going to ask you a question about your top piece of advice for other busy mums, but I feel like you kind of really um, summarized that out well in the last question, just in terms of like working through that perfect overt perfectionism mentality and just allow not beating yourself up about it. But what I would love to ask you is now that the book's out and you've actually held your book in your hands and it's a real, you know, it's a real life, um, It's a, you know, it's a real life baby. (laughs) You've got your book, baby. What's one of the best things that's happened since actually writing and publishing your book?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because the thing that, one of the greatest things that has happened has been the number of men that have read the book and have reached out to me. And, in fact, more men have reached out to me to experience their thanks than women have and it's been just so you know heart-filling you know when I've received these emails or these text messages or you know messages on social media when men have said to me thank you so much for educating us about these issues because we had no idea and I think one of the things that we are all guilty of at times is just assuming that people understand what we're going through and that might not be the case you know and it certainly isn't the case because I've had so many people reach out to me and say you know I had no idea and I am actively going to change the way that I you know assist and manage people in the workplace now that I have a better understanding and that to me has been just you know one of the most amazing things, and I'm surprised, you know, surprising rather, um, you know, things that has come out of the whole process. But obviously, also, I'm now getting opportunities to, you know, present at conferences around the mm. world on these issues. Um, and, you know, I'm doing a lot of podcasts, a lot of speaking gigs, and it's just, Yeah, I'm so pleased that we're finally starting to see a lot more discussion about these types of issues and that, to me, makes it all worth it.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I loved what you shared about getting a lot of these messages from men as well because I know that when we were working together on the book, we were talking about who your target audience was and obviously it was going to be a higher percentage of women but I know it was also important to you that, you know, men started to open up about these conversations and really understand the, the issues that a lot of their um, female friends, family members and co-workers and employees are going through. So I, I think that's just so wonderful and I'm so happy that you've been able to be part of that process of helping to educate more men as well about what we actually go through as women and how that um. <clears throat> how having that extra support, especially in the workplace is um, you know can help women just really progress so much further with their careers and like you say it's not it's not a women's issue it's a it's a human rights issue and <clears throat> by looking after your female employees you are you know really doing the best thing you can for your business's um, success and profitability because we know that, when women are supported, and there are obviously the, the more sick days that employees have, the greater impact that has on, on the workforce and the economy. So it just makes sense. And I think you say it, it makes business sense to look after your employees and, particularly, to ensure that women have um, the support that they need in the workplace to be their best selves as humans and also as. Um, as employees as well. So yeah, thank you very much for the work that you are doing and for bringing this book to life. Cause I know it was, like you said, it was about a two year process all up. but from what you shared, definitely worth it. So can you share with listeners where they can find out more about you and your book?
1: Yes. Thank you. You can um, find out more at Naomi Seddon.com and the book is available at basically all major retailers and on Amazon um, and the ebook is available on Apple Books as well.
0: Awesome and if people jump on your site I think if they go to the book link page it'll just go straight to some of those um, retailers as well which is super easy. All right well thank you so much for joining me Naomi and sharing about your book and I hope that those who are listening have know that this conversation has inspired you and helped you to start thinking about some of the strategies or tips that you can implement as well to um, create you know that book that you've been dreaming of and yeah thank you again for joining Naomi and wishing you a great rest of the week. Thanks so much you too Doug. Hey there, Changemaker. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you're feeling ready to take the next step in your author journey. As always, I'd love for you to hit the subscribe notification so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. And of course, if you're feeling ready to take the next step with your own writing and publishing journey and you're looking for one-on-one support, I would love for you to reach out to me at jazrollinson.com slash bookcoaching. Until next time, keep writing, keep creating impact. And remember, there is always someone out there waiting for a story just like yours.